0: You are listening to Ace Comicals, I'm Greg and today I'm joined by my co-host Leon, let's go! Hello and welcome to this October edition of Ace Comicals, uh, this is episode number 73 and today I am joined by just Leon. Hey. Leon, uh, we missed out on you last episode because it was just me all on my own, you guys obviously had to dig me out of whatever trouble I got on myself into when the low bearing stack collapsed and I was like completely buried under the cave of comics, so... <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was uh remarkable that you managed to record an episode and get it out and uh, <laughs> uh, like it was it was a good week yeah. before we got you out of there, so I actually listened to the episode while you were still down there.
0: I know, at least uh, I had internet, so yeah. it wasn't so bad. <laughs>
1: we were getting we were getting bottles of water down to you, so it, yeah. it was fine. Yeah, it was good. Um but yeah, it was uh it was a good app and uh it was uh an annoying one because it's like, oh no. Maybe you can do this without us, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, it was, it was good. It was uh, really, um, it, it was really enlightening to get you out, uh, see some of those comics in the stack, and then have to add more comics to my stack. So you know, you know how it goes.
0: Yeah, I don't think I could do this without you guys. I think, I think, I think it's it's hard doing this on your own, talking to nobody. Like just talking into the, I think that's the trouble I had, like, cause I've experimented with making videos and things before. And I think the trouble I have is having nobody to bounce off. Mm. So it's like, this is like peek behind the curtain time, I guess, for Ace Comicals, but it's hard to, to talk for me to talk at nobody. Um, because I, I feel like I need a response in order to, in order for it to sound okay. And to, to sound natural. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you've done a couple
1: work. episodes by yourself, and uh, they've been good radio. So.
0: Yeah, it's it's always better when there's somebody else there, when there's another voice <laughs> there. Definitely like having co-hosts around, and you guys do a great job. I need you. Don't go. <laughs> well, yeah, you <laughs> Don't... can't be
1: trusted alone. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> um, so, like in between that, um, I guess we've had this new Joker film that's coming out, uh, or is now out by the release of this episode um and uh it looks like oscar bait i don't know i don't know what your thoughts on that are leon
1: <laughs> yeah look, it's, it's an odd one because it's, it's a weird time for us because we're recording on a date that is before we've seen the movie but by the yeah. time the episode comes out i will have seen the movie D-O. so then we'll have to wait until the next episode to actually talk about the movie but um i'm i'm interested i'm I always going with low expectations and I, I, I hope for the best in each, in each, each movie. I don't, it's hard these days because the internet, social media and all that are such a pervasive force, uh, that if you spend as much time as I do online, you can't help, but be inundated with, uh, people's opinions on, on things. And especially because this was a film that came out at a film festival, Um, Those opinions have been out for a while, at least like a month or so. So it's been quite annoying to have to duck and weave all these takes. And the discourse um, has been, uh, in some ways, it feels overwrought Hmm. and alarmist. and other ways, it seems hyperbolic. And at this point, I've just muted uh yeah. the word joker and uh hashtag and all that because I just want to watch a movie. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> I I'm I'm going in seeing seeing it in Limax and um I will be look forward to report back and have a discussion mm. about it because yeah on the face of it it it's a quite an interesting uh, project. Uh, I've always got love for Walking Phoenix and the Joker's such an iconic character to tackle them divorced of any um, connected universes uh, just to do this sort of standalone R-rated movie is the type of thing that I've wanted these companies, especially DC and Marvel, to, to experiment with uh, over the last decade or so. So mm. I'm hoping that at the very least, this works out well and we get more cases of filmmakers being able to, to to dabble in that area i mean i only found out recently that the birds of prey movie coming out next year um is going to be r rated as well so um yeah. i'm I'm cautiously optimistic but we'll see at this point yeah i, just, I i've not been impressed with most uh, of the DC EU, and i think they, they they're sort of stealth abandoning it to focus on the things that work and i'm, I'm interested to yeah. see what they
0: do i don't think it's even so stealth i think it was like the official line that they were actually abandoning like the connectedness mm. so they were just going to make films but um i think i think that's something that's been banded around for a long time now actually something that's been out there um as far as i mean i'm sure i've seen that somewhere but Yeah, I mean, this Joker film—it's hard not to go in with high expectations, with the amount of smoke it's had blown up it already, like you were saying. And although I—I'm not as present on the internet as you are, I've still this—this stuff still gets to me somehow. Like I still Mm. manage to see an awful lot of it, and it's just everywhere. Um, and I've taken to just completely you know ignoring it now like skipping past it and things when i do yeah. on, you know when the times when i do actually look at the internet and um i mean I, i'm not as present on the internet that I, I end up having to mute things and whatever i've never ever i've never ever had to do that funnily enough i've never had to like actually um start blocking words and muting things because I, I don't think yeah. you
1: probably have a healthy relationship with your twitter <laughs> <laughs>
0: well i I hope i do yeah and not a full-on addiction yeah uh, a lot of us but um i mean the discourse that's surrounding this film as well i like as you say it's hyper hyper hyperbolic and everything else and but i mean i actually don't think i mean people to people are discussing this but I i don't think it's any different to the kinds of things they were saying in the media when films like the exorcist hit as in, in 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 a kind of, in, in the way the mood is in the kind of hysteria surrounding it and thinking it might make people do violent things or things yeah
1: like that. yeah I, I think the the sensitivity comes from a uh i think it comes from a good place um yeah. i think that concerns arise around the oh. subject matter and oh entirely. things that have happened yeah uh, it's different in the in, last couple of years
0: it's very different in that way but it, I think I think this is like an age-old thing that happens, where a yeah. film that comes out that challenges stuff, that maybe has content that people um, aren't used to, or things that we haven't really discussed in films before, and things like that, or content that people might find shocking, and you you seem to get this this uh, kind of hurricane of discourse whipped up around it because of that yeah
1: and i think ultimately all of it all of the conversation is worthwhile and that there Mm -hmm. is a lot to speak about with a lot of these things but i find it tiresome when so much of the discourse happens before said thing has been released to the public
0: and that's that's the internet that's the problem with the internet yeah
1: like i think that um i'll be a lot more interested to see what Takes are like after a few weeks of release when people have cooled down a bit, exactly. We can actually talk about the thing uh, as like a text um, Mm. and a a piece of art uh, rather than this amorphous um, sort of blob. That is, it's kind of like a it's at the moment, it's anything you want it to be, yeah. It's like it's the worst thing ever. It's the best thing ever. And I'm, I just want to like deal with it. Like as a, as a thing with divorced of all that, and then have us talk about stuff as in a wider context once we've seen it. So. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens.
0: I mean, I'm I'm going in as a comic book fan, so I'm going to go in as a comic book fan. I'm going to watch it and I'm going to compare it to what I have known to be the Joker and as the Joker. And I will be viewing it through the lens of how does this stand among other facets of the Joker that I've already seen represented on the screen, and how um, maybe how how it stands as a as an origin story for the Joker because it takes inspiration from the Killing Joke for sure, but it's not it's its own thing, isn't it? So we'll see anyway. Um, yeah, and
1: no, I'm going in as like, uh, a, a fan of the depictions of the character, but also like a fan of like some, uh, some of the actors who are in it. And yeah, it, it, it's an, in, it's an interesting project for me because the reductive take obviously is that it's the Joker by way of, uh, King of Comedy and, um, that's an interesting thing to see, so uh, we'll yeah. see how it goes.
0: But, I mean, is that almost not what the Joker is, anyway? Yeah, thinking? but, I mean, we just haven't had them yeah.
1: presented in such a Scorsese fashion, so... Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, other than that, uh, I've been working my way through Twin Peaks again. I'm currently working through Season 1 and rediscovering some damn fine coffee in the process. I'm so what's I-
1: brought this on?
0: Um... <laughs> do you know what? I don't know. I just, I just sat there and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do. I'm gonna watch Twin Peaks again. <laughs> Got my DVDs out and just started watching it. And then why not? I was binging it today. Um, and yeah, and there's just like revisiting it from the beginning, having watched this post season three because season three aired last year, didn't it? Yeah, uh,
1: um, 2017, I think.
0: Two years ago. Yeah. What the hell? I think so. (laughs) Where did 2018 go? Like, (laughs) I I could have sworn it was last year. Anyway, I've got season three on Blu-ray, but I've been working my way back through it post-season three, and having, like, watching it at the beginning for the first time, having having watched the end, having watched season three, like, a lot more things jump out of you straight away, and a lot more Mm. things just fall and click into place. It's like... Such as? Well, the, like the... on
1: a maybe on a thematic thing rather than a plot basis, because I know yeah, yeah, a lot of people probably still haven't watched season three.
0: That's it. I don't, I don't want to start talking about things that happen in season three and then spoil it for people. I'm not going to do that. But yeah, like thematically and and in the way that the story works and certain plot points, yes, but a lot more just kind of just clicks into place without actually, um i think this is it's better to do it this way around actually in some sense it's it's it's
1: always nice to revisit stuff yeah i mean it's finished
0: it i mean i would i would recommend anybody like obviously you've got to watch twin peaks in order you've got to watch season one and two and then the movie and you've got to watch firewalk with me somewhere in between that or prior to watching season one but that i mean firewalk with me i don't really know when the best time to watch that is because if you watch it prior to season one you'll find it confusing if you watch it during i think you have to watch it after season two you think yeah Yeah. Mm. probably you're right although it is set prior to season one
1: yeah but but, like the information presented in it you're meant to watch it as if you've seen season one and two that's how it felt, felt to me
0: yeah, you're probably right. But yeah, I mean, like, you can't... I mean, but, like, going back and watching all of that after watching season three... So you watch everything, you watch season three, and then you go back to the beginning again and maybe just watch the first two seasons. But it just it just all feels so much more connected and so much less... Like, there's things that um, just, just click into place. And the, the first time you watched it, these things stood out as like, pieces of a puzzle that you just couldn't fit anywhere, but now all of a sudden it does. So, yeah, it's it's really good. Hmm. It's uh, it's a nice, neat thing now. Oh, and, um, yeah, that's that's been my two weeks, I guess, that and listening to music on vinyl. I got the the Ghostbusters score from the first movie. Oh, nice. On clear vinyl with, like, slime uh, thing in the middle of it and it's really cool i've been sat listening to the score so that's great it's great spooky music for this time of year and it's been good to listen to while i've been doing my uh ink which i'm already behind on it's like six days in and i'm already behind <laughs> so i mean i've got How I'm half- behind well i finished fridays but i've not uploaded it yet and i'm halfway through yesterday's
1: You've got to get on it
0: yeah exactly yeah so <laughs> i'm i'm like a day behind <laughs> But yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing it and uh, if I don't get them all up on time or if you get them in huge lumps, then that's because life gets in the way and being an adult is a horrible thing.
1: Have you <laughs> been following um, like any of those sort of themings? I've seen a lot of people with like the sort of calendar themes where yeah, someone's prescribed different things to do each day because a, a, a friend of mine who has taken part, uh, he's following a particular one. Are you doing that or are you just uh, doing your own thing?
0: I'm doing the official prompts Oh, cool, from cool. the Inktober site. So I'm following the official Inktober words in prompt words or trying to. Um, but I mean, everyone's got their own, like a lot of people, everyone does this in their own way. I mean, the, um, Daniel Warren Johnson, um, the artist of extremity and, Uh, Murder Falcon, he is doing wrestlers. So he's drawing a different wrestler every day, which is kind of cool. But everyone's got their own thing. So, Mm. yeah. Everyone hits this from their own kind of angle. I mean, which is kind of cool because it's like, here's the prompt words, or not. I mean, you do your own thing. It's whatever. And I like like that. I like that it's just like a, a thing that gets people practicing drawing, gets people practicing art gets people um improving which is which is what i'm doing i'm i i'm doing it to improve because i i'm not saying i'm an amazing artist by any feat i'm not saying i'm great but i use this as a as an excuse to practice and improve yeah so hopefully if you've seen anything i've done on previous years you'll see an improvement
1: (laughs) yeah that's the thing like it's always really nice to see like and i see yours go up and i see other friends is uh, go up, and then I see like uh, people that I follow, or I see like uh, strangers uh, retweeted. It's just really nice to see, like, uh, because of the way it's done, like daily. Um, it's nice to see yeah. pieces that people have had to just uh, start to finish, get something completed, mm-hmm. and uh, often in various different styles of their own style, which is always nice to see.
0: Yeah, it's uh, nice to get something to brighten up your timeline once a day or spook it up.
1: Yeah. Is, yeah.
0: <laughs> In my case it's it's always some kind of grotesque monster. And the thing I'm doing this year a lot of is taking an ordinary object and then like grossing it up. So, like I've been doing a lot of this like drawing ice creams with tentacles coming out of them and um drawing like uh Weird, um, like just just turning food into something evil. Like I've got pizza with yeah like, weird stuff coming out of it and all that. Kind well, of stuff, often so.
1: tentacles or like spider legs. Yeah, if yep. I remember correctly. Yeah, pretty much. That's
0: <laughs> that's my thing: tentacles <laughs> or spider legs. Because I think these are the things that people find the creepiest. And if I draw something creepy, I want people to find it creepy. So I know what other mm. people. I know what you guys find creepy at least because you're my audience mostly yeah the people that follow me on uh social media so i know a lot of you don't like spiders so i try to spider the fuck out of things (laughs) 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 and um i well i guess that's it i mean unless you got anything else you want to bring up leon uh just
1: a few things um yeah like uh since the last podcast or so uh, um so I was trying to catch up on some TV stuff. So um, there were two HBO shows that came on during the summer. Actually, one of them still on at the moment. Um, and that was uh, one of them, Succession. So that is the uh, satirical comedy drama by Jesse Armstrong, who created peep show and is a writer and stuff like The Thick of It and various other um, of those sort of... Uh, very like high sweary satire uh, comedies but with, with this show it's um so I, I binged all of the first season in like a, mostly a weekend and then uh the second season was a few episodes in so then i just uh, jumped on and continued the train so now i've caught up and i have to week, wait week by week like all the other plebs <laughs> but um it's, it's a fun ride um The basic premise of it is that you have this family who are billionaires and the patriarch, I mean, they're they're kind of a fictionalized version of families like the Murdochs, for instance, like these uh, families where uh, they own a massive uh, conglomerate, run it. And a lot of the family members are in the upper echelons of the organisation. And as you've seen the stuff like in the Murdochs in the past, they're often fighting for control of various bits of the company. And it's, it's, really, um, <laughs> it's a really effective um, show with that because it, it's a, there's more drama in it than I'm used to from works that Armstrong has, has, has worked on in the past. But, um it, it's able to walk the tightrope of um, tone because you'll have stuff that is completely brutal uh, to do with the characters or a situation. And the next scene you'll have like two characters who are too just h- hilarious because they're utter horrible people. I mean the thing is, it, this show is full of the worst people. Because if we're not hanging out with the the billionaires who are terrible people, then we're hanging around with the people who are around the billionaires who are also terrible people. Because all these people uh, buzzing around power. Uh, and even if they're connected via marriage or they're parts of the, the wider family or they're people who have been in the company for a while or new people to the company, they're all horrible people. And it, it's an interesting show to watch from that point because... It does uh, make you consider uh, how these people are probably living, and how they are, how their machinations work, and how us, the normal people, um, are like numbers or um, ants who are like, a means to an end for them. Uh, especially because in this show like the Murdoch's, uh, the main thing they have is a big news network, big, uh, like there's basically a a Fox news slash Disney stand in and they have own theme parks. And, and the way they, a small number of people have so much influence on so many. It's um, they do explore things in quite a um, dramatic, but like humorous way. And um, I'd say this show is what I would deem, like cringe core because right. there are certain sequences where like other shows uh, or movies when they're in an awkward scenario where someone's made a complete uh fool of themselves in, in a situation normally you have that and that's the punch punchline of the scene and you move on in this show they luxuriate in that awkwardness for but- so long
0: that's kind of like peep it, show peep show does that yeah well i mean it, that, that was yeah. his
1: first show wasn't it yeah and um i think he's honed that to an, a horrific degree on oh on on this because there's there are times like i don't know if i spoke about on the cast before but like i'm when i watch a tv show at home my phone goes down uh i sit there i watch it um and i often don't pause it um and i'll just watch it like i'm in the cinema or something like that just no distractions i'm watching the thing this is one of the few shows where sometimes after a scene i have to pause it get up walk around get a drink because (laughs) the next i know the next scene is going to be awful and it's like there's times where it's like just painful like you're just hoping a character's not going to do something or you just want a character to like just shut up but they'll keep talking and like digging a hole for themselves oh and it it's so painful at times, but it's so good. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a weird. Um, uh, the, the process of watching it is like uh, I'm 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 hurting myself, but then by the time the end of the episode rolls around, like I feel uh, nourished and I I, I need more. <laughs> it's a uh, it, it's a weird relationship, but the show yeah. ha- does it really well.
0: It's um it's like the fact that when I was watching Peep Show season five, I couldn't watch it without alcohol yeah <laughs> like i had to like it was so bad like w- w- i was sat watching it like um with a mate um we had it i think we had it on dvd and we were just going through it but we were just sat there like binge watching it but we couldn't watch it we were just constantly topping each other's drinks up just like we can't do this can't do this
1: uh... like when you when you have like a physical reaction and in your brain yeah you know you're just watching actors yeah. on a set being filmed by people and all the dialogue is, is written by a person. Yeah. But in the moment, it feels so horrible. Like, I'm just recoiling oh, in my seat. And I is. I don't have big physical reactions to stuff when I'm watching it, but with this show, it's it's painful at times. Damn, yeah. Uh,
0: but... I mean... I don't know if I'd be able to watch that. <laughs> I think, yeah, I'd find I think it it's too like, difficult.
1: At times it is like peep show on on, on drugs. And, yeah. and because it's um a, a dramedy more than like an outright comedy. Yeah. Uh it will bounce to like um like quite uh dark dark family drama at times, but Ooh. um it's uh it I I highly recommend it and um I um um Looking forward to the remainder of the season. There's two episodes left for season two, and I, I think it's going strong. It just did well at the the mm-hmm. Emmys uh, uh, the week was it last week or the week before, and um, uh, yeah, um, it, it's I don't know, like it, I think it's a, a, in a way that the perfect show for now, considering the people who like who are like running stuff in politics, especially in America, are like billionaires with their the fingers in loads of different pockets it's um I think when the first episode aired in America, I think people weren't ready for it because like oh we just don't want to watch a show about horrible billionaire people, but I think it caught on really quickly because people started to see the genius of the show and um yeah there's there's so many lines in this that are just hilarious in in context of the scene and um. It, yeah, it's something that I'd highly recommend. It's uh, it, The acting across the board is just phenomenal and uh, the writing is just so sharp and so witty um, that I... Uh, that it, it, Two thumbs up for me for this and I'm looking forward to uh, continuing it. And that's Succession and it's on... It's an HBO show, so it's on Now TV. Um, and then the other HBO show I've been watching which is on Now TV also is Euphoria. And this show is adapted from an Israeli uh, miniseries, which had the same name, which came out in 2012. But this American version uh, stars Zendaya as the main character. And in many ways, this is arguably the best teen show that's ever been made. And uh, listeners of the cast know how much I love teen shows. Uh, that, that's like high praise, and I'm not settled on it, but arguably it is in some ways because this show handles so much like wild stuff. Like this show is a mega deterrent for like <laughs> wanting to be a teenager. Like. <laughs> uh, thinking oh it'd be cool to be a teenager now like it it paints a portrait of Zuma life uh Gen Z life that is uh I I don't know how they survive (laughs) because I'm so happy that when we were younger there wasn't like Instagrams and stuff like that around. oh my god yeah it would have been awful but uh like this show is warts and all like Teen life in the US. Um, in a way, like it's like, uh, it's like, it's like skins, but like, I don't, I don't want to use the uh, the rote um, sk- skins on acid type thing, but it kind of is because it goes to some places and because it's uh, HBO, like HBO just have no like content filter or whatever so it's like this is hands down the worst tv show you could ever watch with your parents <laughs> i think i think you would die from the shame like you would die oh, from God. the embarrassment because like this is a show where obviously a, a big thing uh, in like teenage life now is like uh, people sending over pics of themselves nude and stuff and none of this stuff is censored like there there's an episode earlier on where they're talking about the virtues uh, and stylings of how to take uh, the best dick pics, for instance. And we see a lot. <laughs> like, we see a lot. Like, how... the show's not pulling punches at all.
0: What I'm, what I'm most surprised about is that, like, even with all the knowledge of the internet that everyone has and everything we know about how easy it is to get people's information, that people still do that. Well, the thing is... <laughs> they uh they discuss
1: that in the show uh, yeah. in the montage and uh it's 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 pretty much a a thing of like like this is how we communicate now like it's um uh it, it it's 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 a thing where like in a couple of years we just won't even think about it, it being a weird that people um uh, sending nudes to to randoms because like that's just the currency of uh, th- this generation's life and it's like fair enough because I guess like illegally uploading it to like a porn site or whatever is a, is the crime but taking the picture and having it is not the crime and uh, it's up to the person but like they they delve into a lot of really interesting things and one of the things I always like with a good show especially a good drama is if it has heart. Which is a, quite a general statement, but generally what I mean is um, if a show just is like, yeah, this is like, this is R rated, this is like, we're gonna, like, everyone's doing drugs and having sex and blah blah, there's blah, violence, blah, blah, and it's like, meh. But like, what this does is that it gives us um, really a really diverse set of characters, and I mean diverse not just in terms of. Ethnicity, but um, or like gender, but uh, but more so like it creates a lot of real feeling characters um, out of out, out of its cast, and you can no one feels like a caricature, even like the most intense characters. No one feels like a caricature, and um, it uh, even though it has some melodramatic like storylines in it it all feels played quite um not straight but it doesn't feel inauthentic yeah um and that is what makes it really good to watch and on top of that i mean the biggest strength of the show is um the filmmaking like some of the filmmaking is unbelievable uh especially for a tv show they're There are shots and montages and sequences that happen that I'm just like, how did they do that? Like, it, uh, and obviously, a show that is about the main character Zendaya uh, that Zendaya plays is a girl called Rue. She's 17 and she's a recovering drug addict just out of rehab. And so, you're going to get a lot of like effects to do with someone under the influence of drugs, but not just that, they do the really Cool thing of like, it's not just all we're doing colors and we're like, um, we're switching up how the scenes lit and we're like flipping corridors and stuff just because people on drugs. What it, it does effectively is pull you into uh, characters' mind states and it feels very, um, like emotionally true and it fits. What the characters are going through and what their head state would be. Um, yeah, and I've like, I've, yeah, I've been really taken by the show. I think uh, really good young cast, um, and it, it it doesn't it doesn't feel like it holds anyone's hands in terms of how it's depicting the story. There's no training wheels on. It's very matter of fact and. It's not really a morally judgmental show and it manages to tackle a lot of different issues and like social issues and um, just themes, but without doing it in a way, in like a showy or um, sort of preachy way and um, for that I just think that it's masterful in a lot of ways uh, in in how it handles a lot of the the subject matter but um, yeah uh, it's uh, it's a wild show and there's probably like a million content warnings I should put on it but um, I would heavily recommend uh, Euphoria or HBO Now TV um, created by Sam Levinson
0: yeah we should well I don't know if I'd be able to check that out yeah <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, it, i haven't got my tv but it might it yeah yeah it might not be totally might my be, thing it, from the sounds yeah of it. yeah it <laughs>
1: might it might be it might be a, a bit wild
0: yeah um so uh we are moving to the comics now and uh, the first one on the list is a book called fatale as in femme fatale And this is written by Ed Brubaker. The art is by Sean Phillips. And the colours are by a Dave Stewart. Now, this is a book that kind of has the old school pulp detective story, but, like, in a Lovecraftian source. So that's what it serves you, and how it serves it. Um, And, uh, yeah, so the... Basically, this is this is going on the synopsis from issue one because we've... There's 24 issues of this. It's available now uh, in its entirety. This is originally from January 2012. Um, that's when issue one hit the stands. So, um, a reporter in 2012 stumbles on a secret that leads him down the darkest path imaginable. To a seductive woman who's been on the run since 1935, a mobster who may be an immortal demon monster... And the stories of all the doomed men who've caught, who've been caught in their decades-long struggle. So yeah, this story centres around uh, the archetypal femme fatale, who is Joe, um, uh, as in Josephine, and she is, um, she's like this immortal. She is, like, the immortal... She's the femme fatale. Like, this immortal femme fatale who has been through... um, Every single type of adventure where you'd find this type of character from A to Z. And... Has... Had a lot of people caught in the crossfire along the way from the sounds of it. And from the reads of it as well. Um... So like I love the way this plays out. It it jumps between the past and the present day and it's like a mystery unraveling in real time in front of us and um the way this plays out with Joe the femme fatale, who is the subject and the focus of this comic it's like the typical archetypes of pulp horror and pulp uh, detective stories, these noir detective tales are kind of like tipped on their head a little bit almost or maybe less tipped on their head, maybe less fully uprooted and more probably just crumpled. So mm. bits meet that shouldn't normally meet. Um, and like it has this real noir detective feel with the narration throughout. Like you can almost hear the sax as you're reading it. <laughs> <It's> like, that's, <laughs> that's how it is. It's like um, and the art has this kind of like these thick black lines and shadows that paired with the flat colors give it like an air of abstraction as if someone is painting these images in your mind with their words so in the same way that a noir detective tale is usually told through the narration of the detective um kind of like diary entry tile this kind of has the same thing going for it as if like you're either reading it in someone's diary um and uh you you're told in a room with someone through words or, or, you know, you're reading it through a diary and you're having it painted in your head. And, and I think that works. This is, this is how it works in my mind. Anyway. Um, is it like this, this kind of like painted. So it's, it's just abstract enough, but at the same time, there is like a distinct realism to it. Um, it still leans heavy on the realism and the way the characters and the environments are rendered. So it, it works thematically with the narration to produce this effect of being painted in your mind. Um, in a way that you might imagine real people and things like that doing this. Um, So yeah, it's a slow burn mystery horror and it feeds you questions and answers in unequal parts um, in what I would call the correct ratio. I mean, would you agree with me there, Leon? Just enough to keep you hungry.
1: Yeah, because you've read more issues than me at the moment. I've only read the first issue, but um, what I found was its strength is it would give you enough to keep you going but it, it, it wouldn't like it wouldn't overload you or talk down to you that yeah. it, it had those classic noir hooks where you're being presented bits and in, of information as you get deeper and deeper into the
0: hole. exactly it's it's something that it just, it slowly kind of just like urges you further down the spiral and like at the end, you've just been given enough answers and at the same time, enough questions to carry on. Hmm. So it gives you, it'll answer something, but as it answers it, it'll give you four more questions and you just keep going. Cause you want to learn what's at the bottom of the stairs and you want to see the forces at work. And it's definitely something I recommend um reading and especially this time of year is is really great something i'd recommend with a good glass of bourbon actually
1: yeah like what um cuz i read this off your recommendation but it's a title that is, uh, i've i've heard about uh maybe closer to release or, or like during the two years it was coming out but i never got around to reading it until now what 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 was it that put it on your radar
0: it's just one of those things where, like, I've known about it, I've seen various inter- various websites list it in their top horror comics, so I've, um, I've been, it, it's sort of been around in my consciousness for a while, and I've just thought, you know what, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna read it finally, and I just sat down and read it, and it's great. So it's just, it's just something that's been ambient for ages. And I've just decided mm. that, you know, that now's the time I'm looking for horror comics because of the time of year it is, I want, I want to read these books. So now's the time I should just put, pluck this out and actually finally sit down and read it. And it's really, really good.
1: Yeah. I mean, it does seem super up in alley. it being like film noir, I love crafty.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. That's like everything, everything I love all in one book. It's, it's super, super Greg. Uh, um, where
1: you're up to in it? Like a question I have because yeah. I'm—I was quite taken with the first issue, and I was really delighted to know that there was only 24 issues, which is like that is a nice—that's a nice good run. So yeah. I'm looking forward to catching up and and completing it. But um, one of the things, like it plays with a lot of the like film noir tropes that we've been presented. uh like for the last century, um, and yeah. especially in, in a lot of classic books and a lot of classic movies. Mm. And would you say at the point that you're at that within that genre, it's doing something uh, interesting or say transformative with it? Because I could see reading the first issue what this comic would look like if it came out in the 90s where it would still be quite cool, there'd be some really cool ideas, but some of the limitations of that femme fatale uh, and uh, men caught in her uh, aura and their lives being ruined can play out and end up in quite a a stereotypical and uh, not great place. And it, it feels like, even from the first issue, that they're doing something... Interesting with that concept. Yeah, do you think that they
0: are they are. continuing
1: that path? Yeah,
0: I, I think they are because although like it's obviously these men are caught in her orbit, and and most of the time like she doesn't even know she's having this influence on them. It's just happening, um, and it's um, it's like she is this um, how do I put the it? Force. I don't yeah like a force like like if if the femme fatale archetype was a force if it was if it was a natural force in the world mm. um this is how it would be represented like she that's what she is um and if you think about it like the, the femme fatale trope in in movies and stuff it's like that's that's what happens like men get caught in her orbit and they end up in a some kind of weird adventure getting into all kinds of trouble for her, you know, and i think I think it is doing something interesting with that in the fact that they're not trying to save her or they are or she's she's the badass one, and they are getting involved with her, thinking that they can help her or save her, yeah, you know? but in reality, like I mean we're seeing it from their view that that's what they're trying to do, like you know these like noir detective types and yeah whatever. but
1: They're all, like, the the lead character in their own, uh, like, film noir or, like, detective story. But they all seem, like, not capable. Like... Yeah. In the first issue, uh, there's a guy who is... uh, Right at the beginning is, like, saved by her, uh, who takes part in the thing. And he's, like... When he first meets her at, at a funeral, he is just, like, taken by her. He can't even move. Yeah. And exactly. then, like, in a couple of pages, like, he is in a hospital in a not very good way. And I, and I immediately, I was like, immediately, because it's a trip, like, yeah. the, a crash happens and then you wake up in, in yeah. a hospital and then you move on. But, like, there's a, there's a detail in him being in the hospital. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is harsh. <laughs> yeah. Like, this, this comic is not messing around. There are, and, like, yeah. consequences that will, like, live on. It isn't just a... Silly, uh, rough and tumble well, that's, type of thing.
0: That's the strength of it. And that's what I love about Ed Brubaker's writing in this. Like, there are consequences and things. Characters carry things with them. Like, mm. as you get further on, you'll learn. Character that gets caught in the crash, he carries things with him. Mm. Uh, from and it's it's great. It's absolutely fantastic in that way, and and it, like I said, it does it does just completely like crumple these noir tropes. And, and and sort of, like, straightens them back out again, and there's something else entirely. So, yeah. Um, it is something that I definitely recommend you pick up. Um, and that is... Um, yeah, that is uh, top of the list for today. That is Fatal. Uh, and that is... Um, do you say it fatale or do you say it fatally, Lee on how how
1: I say it fatale, like femme fatale.
0: Yeah, that's that's I mean that's how I say it femme fatale, but like I I people say that word in different ways. All yeah, the time. when
1: you see it alone like that, it does yeah. look super Italian.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips and Dave Stewart. Um and it's a great little story. Um Yeah, actually there's two um, I think there's two collected hardbacks out at the minute that you can grab, maybe three. Um, I don't know if they managed it because the first ten I issues think they, are in I think they one,
1: it two. So yeah, one yeah. to ten and then eleven to twenty-four. I believe.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, two two deluxe hardcovers. Yeah, you're right. Um, so I mean, they're they're out on shelves now, so they're worth looking into if you want to read it. That's probably the best way to read it. Uh, and that is on image comics. So the next one's on the list are um well this is this is us checking back in with something we've talked about on this um on this podcast previously. This is a book called The Plot uh which we were lucky enough to get a advance preview of a 10-page ashcan that was black and white in the back of a comic called The Mall. Um, and um, this is the plot number one, and uh, the art here is by uh, Joshua Hickson, who you may know from Shanghai Red. The writing is uh, a um, a collaboration of Tim. is collaboration between Tim Daniel and Michael Morici, and uh, the lettering is by Jim Campbell. Now, with this one, um, like I remember how blown away I was with the ten page preview as a horror story with its roots in mental illness and the hereditary nature of mental illness. And in reading the ash can, it was like watching a movie at the cinema only to have it rudely interrupted when the projector malfunction. I think those were my exact words. <laughs> um, so like I-, I said, I was going to have to complain and get a ticket to another showing to catch the whole thing. And that's exactly what I did. I bought the full book. So um, like it was already stunning in moody black and white. And now I have the entirety of issue one as a solid copy. And, I really did enjoy this one. I've been looking forward to it since I talked about that 10 page, uh, 10 pages. Like that's back on episode 67. And I know that I was saying that I would like the book to remain black and white. Like I could imagine the full book in black and white because I like black, a classic black and white horror uh, comics, but mm. I think the colors added an extra dimension to it and deepened the atmosphere. Um, this book has autumn and Halloween in its veins. And, for me it just evokes the same mood as um the haunting of hill house the netflix show
1: yes definitely yeah and <laughs> so much so <laughs> oh
0: yeah massively and and if that's your thing then that's this is you should check this out and and some of the really cool variant covers available for this are homages to classic horror comics i don't know if you've seen any of them leon no the yeah. no some really good them. ones some really really good ones and this is this is the thing that like I love about this book. Like it's, it is very much in the tradition of of horror stories and horror comics, and it is very much like um, everything I said about it before. Just, just it looked so good. It was fantastically moody, and it's it's a really good tale. It's a really great tale. Um, so, I guess actually, I'll just read you the blurb again. So. In order to receive, first you must give. When Chase Blaine's estranged brother and sister-in-law are murdered, he becomes guardian to Mackenzie and Zach, the niece and nephew he hardly knows. Seeking stability for the children, Chase moves his newly formed family to his ancestral home in Cape Augusta, which overlooks a deep black bogland teeming with family secrets. So this is where the Haunting in Hill house thing comes in. Because it's it's a house by itself. Um on what we perceive to be cursed land i think we get that yeah. impression from page 1
1: and that's the thing like as well as hill house i like, got big lock and key vibes with this uh, opener as well
0: yeah definitely um and yeah i as a you know as a, as the first thing like the the inaugural title of like vaults new nightfall line i i think like which Vault are doing this thing where they do this nightfall line now where it, that's where they're going to publish their horror books. And, um, it's going to be like a a seasonal yearly thing, um, where new books come out on the line at a certain time of year, every year, um, mainly aimed at spooky motherfuckers like me. But, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's just as, as the, as the inaugural title, it's like a really strong start for that line. I must say. Um, I mean, I've, talked about this before so i you've read it now leon so i want to know what you think uh
1: yeah like like i was saying um like i, I definitely got those uh like big vibes of uh the book and, and the show that i've mentioned but also uh just the way it begins where you have uh the, what's the name of the uncle character um who know has the kids chase chase uh him entering that house um just the way it's composed um it's the angles that were given it just feels so uh, like it feels like in that moment that he kicks open the door on page two yeah. That,
0: stumbling in in a tumult of depression yeah. with a six-pack. It,
1: it feels like as he's kicked it and switched on uh, his torch, all the ghosts are like, hidden. Yeah. But it, it, it feels open in that way that when that main door is closed, stuff is going down in there. Like, even if it's not uh, the obvious, like, ghosts walking around and stuff, it feels like the walls um, uh, are, like, moving. Uh, and it has that... Feel where they're going to combine the trauma of because the the house has been in the family for like what 200 years, yeah. They're going to combine the trauma of like family, legacy, and all of that. And and uh, Joe, the thing that I like where they take those themes and make them supernatural. and I think, as a setup, it's it's um, as you mentioned before, like on the episode, we we're talking about it, the idea of um like in, inheriting uh, and passing down uh, like mental illness mm. it's um I, there's something about it because you have that a sequence where you got a character who is it's their 40th birthday uh, chases brother and the way it's composed where he is uh, sort of giving giving out a speech and when we see, like, the crowd, even though it's, like, in a very sort of normal way, you'd, like, background these characters, you'd uh, have them, like, similar colours, and then they'd be sort of blurred in the background, it does feel, like, a void in a way, in, in that, like, there's a there's a lack of colour between him and them, and mm. or him and his wife and them, that it, it feels like a barrier, like a bubble, and as he like is continuing his speech and goes like off script and sort of loses his place. Um, you do sort of feel there is this big weight um, on the family. Yeah. Especially on the two brothers. Like there's a legacy of trauma in, in, in the past that um, is, is like scars, emotional scars that they're, that they're bearing. And it's, it's interesting that at the same time that that's going on, uh, they try to make it, a connection between them is is try try to be made and at the time one of the characters is just not ready for it and not not in a good place for it and you know it's 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 sad to see and it's sad to read but um it it feels very true and when uh things take a bigger more overt supernatural um uh, like uh, turn it it's, it makes you sit up in your seat and you're like oh okay okay they're rarely going there okay they're rarely going there and it's uh it's a brutal series of events and it does remind me of a of the beginning of like lock and key and how the beginning of that story is set up um where there is a tragedy that happens to the the family um yeah and like it, it does have like shades of that uh but then just through dialogue we get before then it feels like like stuff wasn't okay already and, and like there's two two the two kids who are now living with uh, chase like they were like one's a teenager, the other is like I think like a, a tween or something and they're already dealing with stuff like just sort of standard behavioural stuff, but it feels already like there's weird family rifts going on, like their relationship isn't... I mean, in in a way, like not a lot of families do have a great relationship and you get a kind of feeling that this guy's a workaholic who's never really with his kids.
0: Well, I mean, like, yeah, and also they only know what their dad knew about their uncle. Yeah. What their dad told them about their uncle and... Like they've only seen him
1: three times.
0: Yeah, and they've been getting told that their uncles a loser their entire lives. So, you know, it's. I don't, yeah, it's it's tragic and it's sad, but it's also very, very, very compelling reading.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great setup, and just going back to like uh, great panels. Uh, there's a panel where uh, Chase uh, receives a telegram giving him like some awful news. <laughs> Um, and there's a great scene because uh, he's he's in the, the house like doing renovations and uh, he has like a uh, like a sledgehammer and there's a great scene of like him just going going off with the oh sledgehammer. yeah he
0: goes ape with the sledgehammer to take out his frustrations and I I've been there
1: <laughs> well it, it, it's captured so well because we it's like it's 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 sort of like we've got a square panel that's been split. So the the top left is uh, its own panel yeah. and that's focused on his hand holding it. And the bottom right is the end of the sledgehammer. So you get kind of an S left shape and then it's got inserts with close-ups on his face screaming or like grunting and close-ups of the, of the sledgehammer. He's just done so and then you've got the, the text from the telegram he got running in the background for him. And yeah, it. I think it captures that moment. Like I, I, everyone reacts to things differently, but I've definitely been in, in moments where I've just had like a fly of rage over like uh, learning or encountering something awful. And it. I think it really captures that haze, yeah, which often like, only lasts like five seconds or something, but it's really effectively captured here
0: yeah and like it took to break down again the way that it's captured as well um i think in reference to shred hell i've talked about pages like this where they you get inserts and things, things that are happening at the same moment but shown from two different ways, shown in two different ways at the same time which is something comics can do that film can't and because it's such a maelstrom of movement and 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 rage and uh impact and everything else as he's going nuts with this sledgehammer and taking this wall down like to show it in it to 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 display it in such a way a flurry of information on the page with inserts and full panels and such um and everything rushing at once like everything would rush through your head at once the emotions the words on the uh, telegram everything else I think that's a really effective, a really effective page layout, and I really did enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Like that, that for me was like a really clever way to display that. I think I really, I was really into that. But yeah, uh, this this was something else. This book definitely. Um, so that was the plot, and um, let's just give you your team again. That is Joshua Hickson on art duties, with uh, writing by Dan- Tim Daniel and uh, Michael Morici, and letters by Jim Campbell. And that is on Vault Comics, and that is the Vault Comic, uh, the inaugural title of the Vault Comics Nightfall line, which is uh, well worth your time. You should check it out.
1: I, I uh, highly co-sign that it was uh, a really um, like. It, it's a first issue that has its statement just out there, and I feel like of uh, people have heard in the past. I usually complain that sometimes I just need I need I need the trade before the uh, I can't just deal with a number one. I'm not getting enough information, and I think that the, the two comics we've spoken about yeah. this week, I, I think they had really good issue ones, but in particular the 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 plot. Mm. I think that it sets up characters and the stakes and what we're dealing with in this world um really well uh, in such a short amount of time
0: what um what i was going to say to you uh leon if you if you like having the entire trade available maybe you should check out tko comics
1: because
0: mm. they're doing that thing they're, they're, they're trying to revolutionize the way comics are sold aren't they yeah that thing where everything's available at once netflix um, drop yes exactly maybe we should talk more about that actually on another episode like because tk yeah. comics is really interesting um and um I'm like like... doing something different to try and yeah
1: see if that works as a model in the industry and i respect it
0: yeah i'd like to i'd like to check out some of their stuff as well because i've not checked any of it out but um that'll be something to delve into but uh moving on from the plot actually it kind of like segueing in to the next two things that i've been reading which is uh I was inspired, actually, by the plot to go and and, and read these because, like, um, it inspired me to go back and read some classic horror comics. Mm. Well, I mean, this is that's just something that I enjoy doing anyway, but this gave me an excuse, I guess. <laughs> so I figured it's the time of year, why not? So, um, do you need an excuse? Well, no, not really. <laughs> I've been back and read some of Marvel's "The Tomb of Dracula" from 1972, which is a uh just briefly it's a stellar absolutely stellar example of how to build suspense and atmosphere in the pages of a comic the art um throughout like the book uh has this ghostly fluidity about it and um combined with the realism and the way the fear the way that fear and emotions like anger are rendered in the faces of the characters it really does it really is a, a heady horror cocktail and um i concur with a lot of comics fans in saying that it probably is one of the best horror books And if you can track it down and read it, please do. Alongside this, I checked out some issues of the horror anthology comics magazine, Creepy, which was launched in 1964. Um, These are more reminiscent of the horror comics of EC and the like, black and white, heavy with atmosphere, pages rendered in stark realism, and some of the most detailed and intricate realism in comics art you will ever see, I believe. Um like stills from a black and white movie at times actually you know like um uh these old black and white universal monster movies where they would light things in a certain way and they would use makeup techniques to enhance that yeah so then it, they were that's you, black you and white. get like yeah.
1: the gaunt cheeks, or like the uh, yeah. intense uh, eyebrows or foreheads
0: yeah that in in comic form on a page in ink so uh yeah it's really good um and, uh, these are, like, short comic stories, and they're only a few pages long, but they still manage to pack in the suspense and the twists. And they are great reading, again, if you can track them down. Um, now... What is... What's the
1: history of, of these? Like, like, because it's Marvel, isn't it?
0: Like, creepy isn't Marvel. Um, Tomb of Dracula is.
1: Yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. So, Creepy, it's a horror comics magazine, which was Warren... put is launched by Warren Publishing, um... And it's kind of similar to, you know, like uh, Mad Magazine. Yes. Yeah. Um, And uh, it didn't comply with the Comics Code, which was in full force by that point. I mean, the Comics Code was voluntary anyway, but it was the fact that the Comics Code made it difficult for books like this to exist um, as comics and they would have to try to be something different. So they, they was a comics magazine. It wasn't, it couldn't be marketed yeah. as a comic because although the comic code was voluntary and you didn't have to comply with it to make a comic retailers and such would see the comics code as a kind of like something they could trust.
1: Yeah. And it's, um, yeah. And it's kind and of like things like Sorry.
0: This, sorry yeah. I was going to say things like this get pushed to the side yeah. and people would rather stock things with the comics code on them because they know they're going to sell because it's something they can trust.
1: Well yeah cuz like uh, in the in America uh with their games rating um games always go for mature highest yeah and in a few cases where games like has been rated like adult um even though it's a legit rating uh yeah. stores just don't stock it because it, it's synonymous with being uh, pornographic yeah so it's a, like a similar thing
0: yeah um and the um they say cuz we we had, like, the, the pre-code horror comics, um, which was kind of what spurred the comic co- comics code into existence, if you like. Mm. So that came about because of the content of the pre-code horror comics and people objecting to that and citing it as reasons that uh, for delinquency and things like that, you see. Um, which I, I, I find all, all terribly amusing, <laughs> but... <laughs> There you go. Um, But yeah, so then we end up with um, the Comics Code Enforced and Creepy Comics. It was a a comics magazine. I mean, like, I think by the 70s, which is when you had the Dracula comic, um, I think Marvel were kind of flaunting the comics code a little bit and i don't think mal uh the, i don't think the dracula comics carried oh actually though yes the tomb of dracula comics were actually approved by the comics code authority which is surprising because they they do seem a little bit outside of what the comics code allows for hmm. um i think the rules may have been relaxed a little by then i don't know yeah because
1: but... it's also like the 70s and yeah. uh, as you we are saying Uh, general social, political and, like, changes in in attitudes in the media, uh, I can see, like, a lot of big things beginning to be relaxed during that era.
0: I I hold my hands up. I'm no comics historian. I just... I just know stuff like campfire tales and shit, you know? Mm. Like, but I... I do enjoy going back through these old comics and I do like to, to learn comics history, like bits of comics history is kind of like a little bit of a hobby. So it's fun for me to read these and I, I'd recommend them to anybody if you can, if you can get hold of them, because I think the, the tomb of Dracula still stands up today as a great comic book. Um, what's
1: the best way to get your hands on them?
0: Well, tomb of Dracula is available in an omnibus, um, which, uh, I've got, you got the, uh, the hardcover volume one of the omnibus, which was published last October by Mm. Marvel. Um, and that, that is something that is, uh, it, that, that's, that's probably the only way to get it at the moment, actually, unless you want to try and find a really expensive copy of an out of print (laughs) trade or something on Amazon. I don't know. Um, and, uh, creepy comics, um, I think these are available I mean don't quote me on this but I think they're available collected um as uh I think you you can buy them um like in in collected volumes hardcovers as well things because they they get re-released so um the, a lot of these classic horror comics have, have made it into collected volumes that way Hmm. But, yeah, they're they're cool if you can track them down. (laughs) On from there, this is where, like, my my picks come full circle because um, we're talking Bizarre Adventures number one now, uh, which is a Marvel book, um, part of the Marvel 80th celebrations. Uh, So this was really cool. Um, I sat in the pub and read this the day I picked it up. And it's anthology type with four stories. Prepare for the Bizarre. To celebrate Marvel's 80th, we're resurrecting one of its wildest creations, Bizarre Adventures. Uh, within these pages, you'll see Shang-Chi take on, uh, take on a martial arts master. Ulysses Bloodstone battle a master of the dark arts. Dracula meet his match and the Marvel debut of Archwood's Chris onstad These adventures will be thrilling, exciting, and most definitely bizarre. So, um, four stories... Uh, you've got uh, the Starspawn Sorcerer, which is um, Ulysses Bloodstone. Um, you've got Evelyn O'Reilly, which is the Dracula tale. You've got How Does He Do It? How Does He Do It?, which is the character Black Goliath. Um, another one of these characters that uses pin particles to change size. Um, and uh, you've also got The Lesson, uh, which is the Shang-Chi story, which is um, Sebastian Gurner writing. Um, Sebastian Gurner, you may know from books such as uh shirtless bear fighter um but like um my favorite two first of all of this were the star spawn sorcerer and evelyn o'reilly and they're the ones that i'm going to talk about at length those two were definitely my favorites and these marvel 80th celebration titles have been really great so far actually i've loved these revivals of classic anthology types and you know, I'd love if they start publishing them again as monthly ongoings, because, I mean, you can probably tell from most of the stuff I talk about, I do like my anthology books. Um, And, uh, yeah, like Dracula pops up again in this one. So this is me coming full <laughs> circle. So. Yeah, it's spooky season. Yeah, exactly. So the Starspawn Sorcerer, which is the Ulysses Buston story, um, he is Marvel's premier monster hunter. It has some really cool art and some incredible detail in the facial expressions. And the harshness of the environment kind of leaps off the page. It's like sword and sorcery with a cosmic edge. So the blurb in the book here, because you get like a little introduction. uh, In prehistoric times, an evil entity sent a meteor hurtling into the earth, hoping to take control of the planet. One of the nearby early men beat the evil entity's enforcer. But the meteor exploded, killing the rest of the man's people a piece of that meteor known as the bloodstone embedded itself in the man's chest making him immortal and turning him into ulysses bloodstone in the starspawn sorcerer so this is the first story in the book and uh, it's kind of like set um in the snowy wastes uh it's a little bit sword and sorcery we've got him like a single tra- traveler like kind of conan-esque actually um and uh Yeah, it had this like real doom metal vibe about it, which I dug massively. And it almost Mm. evokes the spirit of classic sword and sorcery artwork, like the way the art is. Um, The story has a huge twist for Marvel fans, and uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's great. And the colour work (laughs) in this one is to die for. Um, With the way the glow of the stone in Ulysses' chest is rendered in certain scenes, and uh, there's some great action beats. uh, A couple of pages particularly where Ulysses faces off against an army of the living dead. Uh, Some really cool movements, some great snapshot panel work of the action, like visceral swords going through necks, stuff and whatever else. And uh, the final battle is brilliant with an excellent twist. It's very expressionistic art and it's still full of realism and it has a real classic edge about it. Um, The second story that really struck me was Evelyn O'Reilly, which is the Dracula tale. uh, And it goes leaps towards showing the human side of the vampire. So I will read you the blurb from this one, too. Grievously wounded while fighting the Turks in the 1400s, the nobleman Vlad Dracula was brought to a mystic healer who saved him from death by cursing him with the bite of a vampire. In his life beyond death, the nobleman's throne was traded for a new title, King of the Vampires. For centuries, Vlad fought to consolidate his rule over the monstrous underworld and destroy his vampiric vulnerabilities to become a true immortal. But though he became an undead monster, the sensitive heart of the man he once was still sometimes softly beats within. And that is Dracula in Evelyn O'Reilly. Now, um, this is set in, like, the late 20s, early 30s. And it's, like, uh, at a swanky party where Dracula meets a woman who steals his heart. Um... And uh, the art here leans more towards a cartoon edge as these thick, bold lines and these wonderful colours that pop. And just the whole situation, where the, the way the party goes down, it's just great.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, Dracula's unrequited love is not who you think she is. And uh, the party's guests are also more than meets the eye. And uh, the clue is in the cover of this book. Um, and... Uh, yeah, the, so the cover of the whole comic, in fact, the, uh, the cover that I bought is... Um, dracula and uh this uh this this woman who i believe is supposed to be evelyn o'reilly fighting a werewolf um and um the action explodes off the page and uh, it's just in it, it, the crescendo of this fun tale is just absolutely fantastic it's definitely a favorite of mine the character designs and monster designs are absolutely wonderful the script is fantastic and uh the art has this really animated quality. It just brings it to life. Um, the other stories were also cool, uh, also pretty great. Uh, on a whole, I would have to say the last tale was the weakest of the four. It just didn't land like the others, and it felt quite anticlimactic. Uh, this is the uh, the Black Goliath tale. Mm. Uh, how does he do it? And it's possibly a symptom of it being at the end of the book, when I'd already been so impressed by the th- first and third story, I think... Um, I think when I got to the fourth one, it was a little bit of a a drop for me. Um, mm. Sadly, like I, I mean, I don't I, I don't want to say it gets bad because it's not bad. It's just the fact that the others were so good, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and that's that's just how the cookie crumbled. I think. Uh, if I go through the full list of credits for that, you've got the Star Sorcerer, which is the first story, which is uh, written by Jed Yeah. Mac- uh, We've got Art and Letters by Chris Mooneyham and uh, Colours by Lauren F. Uh, the Lesson, which is written by Sebastian Gerner. Art by Francesco Manor. Um, colours by Andy Troy. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Evelyn O'Reilly is Michael Comrade on writing. Uh, writing and art by Becky Clunan. Um, so it's like a collaboration between Michael Comrade and Becky Clunan. Uh, Lee Luffridge colours this one and uh, Joe Caramagna again on letters. Uh, how does he do it? uh is written by john adams art by aaron conley colors by john rauch and uh, again letters by joe caramagna um and uh yeah those those that's actually the order in which the tales appear so you go Starspawn sorcerer the lesson evelyn o'reilly and then how does he do it and uh the two standout ones for me are the Starspawn sorcerer and evelyn o'reilly they're, they're my two favorites um and yeah that that kind of rounds off the list of comics uh unless you've got anything else you want to bring up leon
1: no not yet um now that lock and key has finished I did want to catch up with not lock and key uh the wicked and the divine sorry yeah. now that that's finished I did want to catch up and have a a chat with you guys about it but we might have to do like a little spoilery bit at the end
0: yeah I think I think that's gonna be like a um a whole episode in itself i reckon mm. <laughs> uh same with ice cream man actually we keep we keep threatening to do it um, yeah we need
1: to uh get get these ones out because there's a lot to talk about with both of those definitely
0: we do um and uh speaking of ice cream man it's Paul this time <laughs> so um coming out the 9th of uh, october which is when this podcast will be available you've got the batman's grave number one um The world's greatest detective must try to inhabit the mind of a murder victim to solve a case without filling the empty grave next to those of his parents. Can Batman imagine the life of a corpse with a half-eaten face without dying himself? Uh, This is by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. Uh, So Warren Ellis is writing Brian Hitch is the artist. And it's a maxi-series about life, death, and the questions most are too afraid to ask. So it's one of those Batman stories. One of those Batman stories. One of those ones. Yeah, one of those ones that stands alone, that's going to get collected into a trade and will adorn your shelf. Um, And I'm looking quite forward to that, actually. I like me some Batman. Uh, we've also got Dead Legends. Uh, the the Dead Legends Premier Edition number one actually comes out on uh, the 9th of October. Something we talked about a couple of episodes ago, we reviewed this. Um, uh, this is the martial arts story that I, I think is absolutely stellar. Uh, So I would recommend getting to the shop and checking that out. Um, Go back a couple episodes and listen to us wax lyrical about it. Give you the blurb, a widow seeking revenge, a champion hell-bent on losing, a world-class assassin second-guessing her contract. The Dead Legends tournament contains a long history of pitting the best fighters in the world against one another, but this year, these combatants bend the rules and place the future of the tournament in jeopardy, a martial arts throwback series that hits harder than a kick to the skull. And uh, you've got uh, the beginning of... Uh, so, we've talked about the Buffy comics on this podcast before, but now we've got Buffy the Vampire Slayer Hellmouth number one, which is the beginning of the first event in the boom Buffyverse stuff. uh, Weddingverse, as they call it, which is the Hellmouth event. Um, So, I'm quite looking forward to that, and quite looking forward to seeing how this pans out. And I really need to catch up on my Buffy comics <laughs> before, before this drops. So, I've got a bit of reading ahead of me. Um looking forward to that doctor doom number one so doctor doom now has his own uh he's getting his own number one his own comic so this is christopher campwell um and uh salvador La Roca. so victor von doom scientist sorcerer disfigured face twisted soul has been spending much of his time warning against a trillion dollar global effort to create the first artificial black hole wrestling with visions of an entirely different life a better future dr doom finds himself at a crossroads but what is he questioning a catastrophic act of terrorism kills thousands and the prime suspect is doom victor will have to push his unexplained thoughts aside and focus on remaining alive as the title of the most wanted man is thrust upon him left with no homeland no armies no allies indeed nothing at all will the reign of dr doom come to an abrupt halt so that sounds pretty cool. Interesting to see where that goes. Seeing Doctor, like, you're gonna sympathise with Doom. I yeah, mean, do you it's think not the first. Been... It's it's not the first time you've sympathised with uh-huh. Doom, but you're gonna sympathise with Doom. <laughs> do you think it's gonna be uh, of a similar vein to uh, White Knight? Possibly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to expect. So um, I'm just I'm just here for the ride, Leon. <laughs> 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 so I'm gonna pick this up and see how it goes um, and there's some pretty cool uh, pretty cool variants um, there's a Steve Ditko variant which I assume what? must be uh, yeah I'm just looking at the list of variants there's a Steve Ditko variant which I, I can only assume must be a print of something uh, from from the Wayback Machine mm. um, but yeah I mean that that is looking good Um We've also got um, Ice Cream Man number 15, um, which we're always excited for some more Ice Cream Man. Uh, There is Secrets of Sinister House number one. Now, this one, I believe, is uh, this year's DC anthology book with horror stories um done in the class in the style of a classic horror comic magazine or horror comic um witness what hides within the sinister house the dcu's most horrific secrets and mysteries travel alongside harley quinn john constantine detective chimp zatanna the atom and others as they face this macabre devastation firsthand and in the bowels of this dark mansion we return to the world of the legendary red rain to meet once again with the dreaded vampire batman Don't miss this year DC what? Halloween special because Wait, what? you do, it'll haunt you. <laughs> Dreaded vampire, vampire Batman. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> What's happened? <laughs> what happened, Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll you'll have to check out Red Rain, won't you? You didn't even pause on that. That's
1: why I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, you was like, yeah, he's, he's a vampire now. Yeah, yeah.
0: There's a there's a there's a there's a certain there's a certain line of Batman comics where Batman's a vampire. Okay. True, true story. So yeah, that'll be worth checking out, and I'm going to talk about this. I think when this uh, uh, in the next episode, it'll be one that I will definitely get my claws into, um or teeth, should I say, yeah, your fangs. Yeah. yeah. Um, so ten sixteen, we've got uh, a book called The Marked. Uh, this is a new one. Uh, this is Image Comics. So The Marked. Uh, their magic is channeled through their tattoos. The Marked may look like cool young influencers, but beneath the designer clothes, their bodies are tattooed with the magical glyphs of an ancient order that secretly protects the world against evil forces. With no new occult threats, the Marked choose their tattoo powers solely for the pursuit of pleasure until a young woman called Liza uh, creates a dangerous new form of hybrid sorcery. The party is over for the Marked. You'll believe in magic, terrifying, soul-destroying magic. This is written by David Hine. Uh, we've got uh, writer-artist Brian uh, Haberlin as well. And um, Jared Van Dyke on art as well. So uh, this looked kind of cool. I-, I love the cover here where it's kind of all silhouetted. Um, silhouetted face. Um, silhouetted dress. Drawing attention to the um, the tattoos on her skin. Bit, that being the bit that pops because that's the bit where it's coloured mm. uh, on the title, the title cover, and uh, I am. Cool. I'm really looking into. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, that'll be something that I'll be. I'll be picking up and checking out. Uh, we've also got the mask. I pledge allegiance to the mask. So the mask is back in comics. That's right. You heard me. The mask, as in somebody stop me smoking green face Stanley Ipkiss <laughs> the mask. So years ago a weird mask of unknown origin and limitless power was buried in the cement of an apartment building's basement floor edge city and its residents have all but forgotten the mysterious green face killer known only as big head but now decades later the bizarre tech savory style killings are happening all over again and are on a collision course with a bizarre political campaign where a homicidal maniac wants to make america green again Ooh. and this is uh christopher campwell again uh We've got art by Patrick Reynolds and a variant cover by Rafael Albuquerque. Um, and uh, this is on Dark Horse. So, um, another one to check out, I think. Uh, if you like the mask. If you like pretty, pretty Viridian faces like his. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> Canwell keeping busy
0: i know man uh you've got tales from the dark multiverse batman nightfall number one now um i believe this is a one shot that takes place in the nightfall era of area of things and um it's basically uh i think it's like what would happen if batman didn't get the cowl back Hmm. um so it's kind of interesting in that kind of way uh something that i might pick up being a batman fan uh you've got something is killing the children number 2 which we talked about on a previous episode that's def- that is out that day uh you've also got something coming out called actually this is october 9th so um i got my dates backwards with this one but this is spell on wheels number 2 uh sorry spell on wheels 2 number 1 um so this is something i like missed me the first time like the trio of which is from spell on wheels return in this follow up cross country series like how did i miss Spell on Wheels.
1: There's a lot of comics.
0: Yeah, I know. It sounds really cool. Um, Andy, Claire, and Jolene find themselves back on the road when a dark presence from out west possesses Claire. As they follow the I-10 towards Danger Unknown, the group grapples with Phantoms, Family Drama, Cryptids, and Crushes. Kate Leth uh patsy uh, patsy walker uh, aka hellcat and uh, megan megan Levins of star trek boldly go and marissa louise of hex wives and grumble bring you another chapter in the spell on wheels saga so like i'm like wait there was there's a comic called spell on wheels and <laughs> and and it's like about a, a cool coven of witches and i've not read it and I should probably go back and check that out before I read this. But this is just something that caught my attention, and and this is how you discover new comic series, nice and organically, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's something cool to look at. <laughs> um, but yeah, Steeple Number Two is also out on Ten Sixteen. Uh, again, we talked about that previously. It's great. Check it out. Uh, these Steeple is the one that I did in my solo web in the last episode. Yeah.
1: Um.
0: And that rounds off the pull list for this episode. So that has been Ace Comicals, episode number 73. Uh, you can find us at com, which is the landing place hub, helipad, whatever you want to call it for everything that we do. Um, on there, you can find links to our Twitter, where we are under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook at Ace Comicals. You can find us on Instagram under Ace Comicals. Um you can find us to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Castro, Overcast, Cast, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, we have an email address where you can get in touch, which is acecomicals at gmail.com. Or you can DM us on Twitter, get involved in the conversation at us, talk to us about the comics we've read. Uh, give us some feedback. Um, Leon, where can we find you?
1: Find me on Twitter at Leon Everett.
0: Yeah, and uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Batto, That's B A T T O U. So, uh, yeah, that has been Ace Comicals episode 60, uh, 73, in fact. Thanks for listening. Ace Comicals over and out.